When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Matthew Collar, what was going on out there in Egan today? Uh, This was the first chance to talk more informally to draft choices and the like. Yes, that's correct. It is rookie minicamp that's happening. So there were a lot of people that we won't need to learn their names. Okay, but uh, there are uh, there are all now. So this is rookie minicamp. A lot of these guys are just tryout guys, right? Now they just taken a peek. They're not not they have not been signed in any way as undrafted free agents, right? Correct. They signed uh, quite a few undrafted free agents, but then all these other guys are just coming in on a tryout, which I believe was how Adam Thielen ended up catching their eye. It was just on a. On a tryout, so it's always who's going to be the next Adam Thielen, and the answer is probably nobody. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't realize that he didn't get an undrafted free agent; that he was just a guy who showed up. Yeah, I believe it was a just a tryout with him, and then he showed off what he had. And it's it's kind of funny, you know, like how did everyone overlook a guy that was six two and ran a four four five and had great hands, but. When you play at Mankato, I guess that happens sometimes. So uh, we we have a, we stole a cornerback though, right? A cornerback, right? Uh, the uh, Todd McShay's number one undrafted free agent. Is that right? That is correct. From uh, the University of Texas, Holton Hill. Is Holton his name. Hill, and uh, we spoke with him a little bit today. He was projected by NFL.com to be a fourth round or maybe even potentially fifth round guy. He left college probably too early because he was suspended from his team, uh, which is part of the concern. And then he was also uh, reportedly uh, tested positive for drugs at the uh, NFL Combine, which okay. really is not a, a great combination of things. But I watched him, uh, just some of his college tapes the other day, and I think that there is reason to believe that he could make this team. I mean, he's big he's like six foot two he's a very aggressive tackler and he ran under a four five forty he's got some speed too i think he's kind of an intriguing prospect and there is an opening there because you've got you know hughes the rookie first round pick he's going to be there newman comes back and then the three other corners alexander waynes and rhodes that seems to leave one potential spot open for another corner if they don't keep marcus sherrills and hughes returns punts so he's got his chance, and we'll just see if he decides to take it. So if you pop, if you fail a drug test at the combine, I suppose if it's just dope, they don't care, right? There's no suspension or anything, but uh, there's no there's no discipline to be had then, right? You it might right. put you in an, a, a situation where you get tested more often. 
I think when you already got suspended from your team and then you have that combination of things, it's not the greatest look, and that's probably why he ended up falling out of uh, being drafted. If he was a first-round talent, he would have been probably picked somewhere later down the board. But being a mid-round talent, teams probably said not worth the headache. But We don't uh, care. We don't right. care. I mean, we, vet them. we vet them ourselves. We, we, we got Spielman to vet them, baby. <laughs> but, I mean, how many guys have had something like this happen and teams say, whatever, we'll take a shot on him anyway, yeah. and the guy turns out to be a, a significant player? I mean, it does tend to happen a lot. Even with Delvin Cook last year, there were the character concerns, yes. and he quickly turned himself into a pretty significant player here. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt about that. You take your shot, and sometimes you're wrong, you know. The one I always go back to is Corn Robinson, who was not drafted but came in as a free agent and uh, was the, uh, you know, made the Pro Bowl as a kick returner and everything was wonderful. And then uh, it turned out he was a sociopath, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he was the greatest liar I ever met. Uh, the thing about Hughes is we're excited about his kick return ability, and it appears the NFL doesn't want anybody to return kicks anymore, at least kickoffs. <laughs> Well, he was doing punts today, too, yeah. and he was a very good punt returner. That doesn't so look have... good for Marcus Sherrill's then, huh? No, it doesn't, and uh, Hughes was very good in college at it, so if he translates any of that to training camp, I think that might be the end of the Sherrill's, but it might actually come down to whether Holton Hill is a good defensive back or not, and then that roster spot would go that way, and of course, Hughes... If he's good in training camp at punt returning, then he probably does get the job. It is an interesting dynamic with kick returning because some guys have earned their jobs that way, and it is a very unsafe play, and the NFL should do whatever they can to make it safer. But I kind of think, is there a way to get creative? Instead of like, oh, we're going to take out this sort of wedge or this, yes. this or that, is there a way that we can just kind of rework this play to make it not so dangerous? I don't know what exactly that is, but just changing little things, uh, I'm not sure that th those really help. And a lot of it is not what's happening to the kick returner, right? It's knees getting blown out uh, with the blindside blocks and stuff like that, right? I mean, that and the wedges and everything. That's uh, it, it, This isn't a play where a couple of guys are at risk. It's like 15 of them are at risk. Isn't that the problem? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody is. You're talking about guys running full speed down there. I mean, he, he really used to be a good test for whether someone might have a career in the NFL because if you were crazy enough to be able to do that, you might be able to handle yourself uh, in some other situations. Something that got brought up that I thought was kind of interesting was just have the offense punt, basically. Like, yeah. just instead of doing a whole kickoff, and now everybody kicks it out of the back of the end zone a lot of times anyway, but just have them line up and do a regular punt and then go from there because it's less dangerous than the kickoff. And that might make for some kickoff or punt returns for touchdown, which have pretty much been eliminated from the NFL with the way kick returns are now. Matthew Collar uh, is with us. Matthew, it, it is kind of sad that uh, the thing is in jeopardy, though, and it could be extinct because it really was a fun part of football. Oh, I, mean, I agree. I mean, know, growing I mean, up, I used to love the kick returns. It was one of my one of my favorite positions. I mean, like guys like uh, Eric Metcalf and uh, Demarc Vanover. Devin like, Hester, will he bring one back against the Vikings today? That was always interesting. 
Right, Dante Hall. I mean, for a couple of years there, it was every every game he played and you had to watch and you had to sit down for that play. And those were some of the cool stories, too, of guys who maybe didn't think they were going to make the league really or whatever, and then they start as a kick returner. It turns out they're good with the ball in their hands, and then they become a wide receiver. And you've pretty much eliminated one of the most fun plays. Uh, the, even just where we stand now, it basically doesn't exist. So that's why I would love to see – some solution to that uh, without making it a complete joke, I guess. Hell, Matthew, the only exciting play in the Bears-Colts Super Bowl down in Miami was Devin Hester taking the opening kickoff <laughs> for a touchdown. Otherwise, that game was terrible. Uh, yeah, well, also Prince at halftime. Was yes, exciting, yes, but... very good, yes. Hey, does uh, our guy Cordero have a job or not? The uh, I didn't see much impact with the Raiders last year. Oh, yeah, Cordero Patterson. Yeah. With, um, he's with the Patriots now. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. And uh, I saw a quote earlier this offseason where Bill Belichick, I think, said that he wants to make Cordero the player he always should have been. Which, wow. Uh, is, which may mean that he uses him as a sort of running back slash wide receiver, which is what I thought – Pat Shermer did really well with him in 2016, and I wouldn't be surprised because Belichick has routinely had a running back that very rarely carries the ball but catches a lot of like wheel routes and, and screen passes and things like that. I think that role is perfect for Cordero Patterson, and especially because the impact that he can make on the kick return just isn't all that much anymore. I have predicted that the five foot ten white kid that they drafted in the sixth round from Miami, Barrios, who's uh, you know he's got a Hispanic name, but he's uh, he's uh, he's a white kid. He'll catch eighty passes this year. I predict. <laughs> now that we got rid of Amendola, they need somebody to catch a bunch of those passes, right? It's a uh, it's a market inefficiency. <laughs> it's a baseball people would say, I guess. Yes, I mean, yeah, it is. Funny. Do they throw they many? Uh, do they throw many swing passes? They don't really do. They don't do they? Do they would throw to Patterson. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I think they do. They had okay. um, who was it last year? Was it James White? There were there oh were yeah, that's right. That they've had yeah, and where one of them, I forget which guy, it was him or Deion Lewis, had a ratio of like one carry to every two catches in the passing game. And so they would do that. And I think Belichick realizes that Brady isn't swinging it 30 yards down the field anymore. And he's adapted his offense to just utilize how good he is at getting the ball out quickly and taking advantage of some of those slot wide receivers and running backs out of the backfield. And of course, Gronkowski. But I wouldn't be surprised if we found out at the end of the year that Cordell Patterson had. 60 catches or something, and most of them he lines up in the slot or out of the backfield. Okay, so January 20th or 21st, whenever it is, I'm a Viking. I've put in a hard season. It's been wonderful. You get, I get my arse kicked by Philadelphia, and I'm a veteran. How much, when do they want me back? When, how long can I ignore football if, if I want to? When, when do they start? They, they don't make me come back in April and May, do they? Uh, well, they did have, yeah, they have the uh, Phase 1. Okay. They have to have names. And that was uh, a couple weeks ago. Or it was and that, then they wanted the veterans who were supposed to come back for that one? Yes, yes. Okay. And there's guys around the facility now. So you yeah. have uh, players that are they were coming and lifting the off-season training stuff where the coaches aren't allowed to be on the field, but just the trainers. And they're like, 
you know, they, they put the thing around their waist and they run the bungee cord and they, you know, do stuff like that. They lift, the, you know, a big medicine ball and throw it at each other, throw a few passes around, but they're not allowed to install offense yet and things like that. Uh, so, but really OTAs is where it starts to get going and then it starts to feel like the football offseason again. And, and that's when, when does that towards, start? When do they start? Uh, that's toward the end of the month. Okay. I believe the 22nd is when that is. If I'm the union head, I don't do any of this crap. I got a three-day minicamp. That's it. I'll see you in July, boys. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. and, and it's, it's something that Zimmer complains about constantly is how they don't have enough time to practice. Yeah, so. Okay. All right. Thanks, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, goodbye. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Here's the next pitch, and there's a shot, and it's a base hit. It's going to bounce all the way down in the corner. It's going to score one. It's going to score two. Albert has a double, and now he's one hit away from 3,000 in his career. Return to sender. I gave a letter to the postman, he put it in his sack. Bright and early next morning, he brought my letter. You know what? If Albert hits a home run tonight for his 3,000th hit, you're going to have to return that ball to sender, fellas. Yeah. Uh, you might get something out of it. The great Albert Pujols uh, will uh, hopefully get his 3,000th hit tonight. Uh, one of the great uh, right-handed hitters in the history of baseball. Uh, been fantastic. And has made a nice little comeback the last couple of years. He's been hitting now for about five years with bad legs. Very remindful of Rodney Carew. In, not as a hitter, but as career-wise. He's, uh, he went, Rodney was here for uh, 12 years, right? 1967 to 78. Won seven batting titles. Mm -hmm. And then he went out to California, finished his career there. Was good, but he never came close. He never won another batting title. He did all of his greatest things in Minnesota. And uh, yet the Angels retired his uniform because he became a Hall of Famer and everything. And, you know, they wanted to make him feel good, but let's face it. And he went in a, he went in a an Angels hat. Yes. Right? He's a twin. He won seven batting titles with the Twins and everything. Yeah. Albert, same way. 11 years in St. Louis. Uh, now he, this is uh, year number seven in, with the Angels, and he's done okay, and he's been pretty good the last couple of years. But Albert is a Cardinal, and Albert yeah. was the, uh, you know, I was down there 10 maybe, 2010 with my son. We went down to, went to Kansas City a couple of games, and then we went to St. Louis for a series when it was about 100 degrees. Did mm. you tell me you were down there? That was uh, 2009 when I was down there. Yeah, because yeah. I had a family reunion down in St. Louis. Did you ever see a... more jerseys for one guy? Oh, it's everywhere. 100%. Okay, first of all, Number five back jerseys then, everywhere. first of all, back then, the Cardinals crowd probably wore more jerseys by percentage-wise than any other baseball team. Because mm -hmm. baseball, the fanaticism for wearing jerseys was not had not overcome baseball like it does hockey now and 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 the like and but in St. Louis 90% of the fans 
it, first of all, they had 40,000 every night, and 30,000 were wearing jerseys. Mm-hmm. There were 25,000 Albert Pujols jerseys there every night. Yep. Then there was about 2,000 Musil and 1,000 some other legends. Smith, maybe. Yeah, maybe 1,000 Ozzy. The only modern, the only current player that had a jersey worn in there was Albert. Yeah. And uh, fantastically popular. The Cardinals, I'll give them credit, they, uh, they knew when to cut the cord as hard as it had to be. They could have. They could have offered him this incredible amount of money. Did the Angels kept get, him. Did he get an eight-year or a ten-year deal from the Angels? Oh man, how long was it? Because if he's at year seven mm-hmm. into that deal, he's pretty close to being done I with think, that deal, uh, isn't he? Blah blah blah. Three teams. Uh, the Cardinals offered uh, Pools a ten-year, two hundred ten million dollar deal. That's right. Uh, the Angels gave him. Uh, he signed a ten-year deal with the Angels worth two fifty-four. Okay. So he's got three left. Three years left. Okay. Three years left, and it looked like boy, it was going to be the biggest, uh, the biggest disaster of all time. But he has, uh, he has uh, fought his way back. Amazing thing about Albert, he's a National League batting champion. Yeah. How often do you see power hitters like this be batting champions? Also, he's a he's a he's a tremendous. Uh, uh, every time I watched him hit. When he was at his best, I always thought I've never seen a hitter with that balance. Yeah, that balance. He was. He had. To, he was in the box, and he had that spread out. He had that spread out way to hit. Never varied from it, and he just was. And that stance was. He just. He, he, he was didn't there, move. He just. He was in there. No. And then and, boom, that bat would, would just go. Nothing was flying around. Right. And you know, Molitor, once he started to lose, lose it. Uh, as far as his speed and everything, mm-hmm. he went to a wider spread stance with with no movement. Yeah. You know, with, so he could get to the ball quicker. Now he never would going to get there with the power of Albert, mm-hmm. but Albert, you know, that is a that that is a hitting approach <laughs> that our guy Miggy could use. Don't yeah. get don't be waving everything around. Sit stand in the box, spread out a little bit, and wait for him to throw you a pitch you like. But the great Albert Pujols will get hit number uh, yeah. three thousand here shortly. You know, Pat, probably this evening. I remember, I remember the home run he hit off of Brad Lidge in the NLCS. I think it was the 05 oh five NLCS because yeah. the Astros still won Astros, that series. Yes, they did. And went to the World Series and lost but, to the White but Sox. But he hit it but, to tie it in the ninth or something. Yeah, right? and and it was crazy because Brad Lidge, until he got to the Phillies and had that great year with the Phillies, he was never the same after that. He no. was a lights-out closer, and then Alvin oh, yeah. hit that bomb off him in the <laughs> NLCS. And Brad Lidge was a mess for about three years yeah. after that. Like, it, it just amazing. completely shook him. It is amazing how fragile those guys can be if, some, yeah. if they, you know, well, the sad case of Donnie Moore with the Angels, he ended up committing suicide. And Albert about just crushed that ball, yes. too. Who do you hit it when we were down there that uh he hit two off? Was it slow ball? Who no, it wouldn't have been slowy. That that was slowy wasn't there. I think of who it might have Can't been. Can't remember. He hit two that day. Somebody for the I, w- I went to the Somebody Sunday for game. the twins pitched pretty well on Saturday and he hit two. And when he hit him, it wasn't the thing about him is he never jumped to hit the ball. He no. just boom. Yeah, that, it was just that he was very still with that stance and then just mm-hmm. boom, that bat would just and the bat and, was so quick. And the too. other thing unique about him, everything you can tell, he's henpecked. He makes all the money. He brings yeah. in the money, and the wife calls the shots. That's uh, you don't see that too. Often. You know what I like about him too, Pat is, as far as I know, and you know more than I do, but 
his name has never come up in no. any sort of suspicious There was anything. the guy down in, uh, who was the goofy pitcher in Arizona that had that, and the guy who got the, I think he got mentioned in there. And I talked, I got a, I actually wrote something about Seelig, uh, suggesting that the biggest names in baseball and it might be time for Bud to leave and got a call the next morning from Bud, my -hmm. old pal. And he said, I want to tell you, Albert has never been in any of these. Uh, and I believed him. He uh, he wouldn't have gone out of his way to call me. He says, he's never been in any of these screening tests or anything. He's never, never, there was no positive on, on Albert. So anyway, uh, fantastic uh, player. And, uh, can he be our first unanimous Hall of Famer? Hell no. Some idiot won't vote for him. I know. It's, it's such right. a shame. We'll be back. I got to say, Elvis has done a pretty good job today. He's uh, been in uh, good form today. Feeling very nice. Thank you. Thank you, Elvis. Uh, today's a Friday musical guest. All right. I got three, not points to make, but three things to bring up here okay number one i occasionally like to give out some incorrect information to make sure nobody to make sure somebody's that the ratings are wrong and somebody actually is listening okay part of our charm yes i well you you know you got to test them you got to test the people and i'm happy to report that uh my intentional use of saying chris streveler and the tight end we're teammates in South Dakota. It worked. I've been corrected by uh, numerous people, so there are some people <laughs> listening. That's that's good. Uh, Chris Streverler played at South Dakota, and Dallas Goddard, uh, Goddard uh, played at uh, South Dakota State. And instead of being teammates, they were arch rivals. And of course, we knew that, but we wanted to see if we and, could get a response. Or and not. just and just so that I have this correct, South Dakota State is the Jackrabbits, right? South, South Dakota, Dakota yes, is the Coyotes. The, the, the state university is the Coyotes. The Coyotes, yes. Okay. It's, so that's South Dakota. I mean, they're both state universities, but the University of is the is the Coyotes. Okay. And the South well, the Dakota Coyotes, State. The Coyotes, as they call them out there. Yeah, the, and the South Dakota State is the Jackrabbits. Yeah. And let me say this about South Dakota State. When they, when North Dakota State and they were North Dakota State's partner when they decided to go to Division One AA, to go to Division One together and break up the North Central Conference, basically. Mm-hmm. And you could see North Dakota State doing it because they're in Fargo, decent-sized town. Yeah, How these people from this little hole in the ground in Bur- <laughs> Brookings were going to do it, it seemed amazing. There's no population in the state. There's no population in the town. They've been they've done well. Well, they've done uh, very well. Now, and South Dakota is kind of catching up with them. North Dakota is the one that's uh, beyond hockey having a hard time uh, with the with the transition. Now, Patino lost to both schools a yes, couple years did. ago. Yes, that, he did. that bad year for the Gophers. Yeah, now, never which, had lost uh, either school. Now, which and the many times they played, which one did Brew lose to? Because Brew beat one. I think he, Brew he played them both the same year. Lost to South year. Dakota. He's lost to South no, Dakota. No, they didn't play the same year. Okay. They lost but he to South Dakota. They beat, beat South Dakota, South Dakota State. State and then they lost to South Dakota. And then the next week I think they gave was it they gave Southern Cal a pretty good game the next week or something, I think. And but 
The South Dakota one was when because that was the year he got fired. Yeah, right? when Maturi and the boys started, you know, when the when the alums started saying, "Hey, you can't lose the bleep in South Dakota." So <laughs> anyway, number two last night, we got about six or seven steps to go down. We got the eight or nine steps going upstairs and six or seven going downstairs. So I'm coming and I'm coming downstairs. And there's no lights on down there. But I feel this draft, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out what's going on. Thinking a window's open. So I take a glance towards the sliding glass doors over on the right to see if they're open. And I go down. I miss the last two steps. Land on my knee. Ooh. And uh, I'm laying there trying to figure out if anything's broken. And my wife hears it upstairs and she said... What happened? I said, I missed two steps. I landed on my knee. I'm laying down here trying to decide whether I'm dead or alive. And she said, was the light on? I said, no, it wasn't. And she, well, you, you know, then she hit. Here's mm. the deal. The light is at the top of the steps. Yeah. At some point, you got to take your shot, right? Right? Yeah, take the risk. I mean, you got to yeah. get the light. You're going to walk in the dark right. eventually yeah. because the light's at the top of the steps. Way at the top, yeah. Yeah, what am I going to do? I don't have a clapper. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> so I damn near, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I had to, yeah. uh, you it's know. That's you, your fault. Yeah. Now, I, I should have fully concentrated, perhaps, rather than worry about whether the screen door was open or not. So that's that's two. That's point two. Okay. I was right. You know, it just was a misfortune that I should have received more sympathy. Three, I'm watching the hockey guys here on the Hockey Network. NHL Network? Yeah. every These guys in hockey, you, you watch panels for every other sport. Yeah. The hockeys are the only guys that look like they're aroused. That look like underneath... Yeah. Underneath the counter, yeah, they're 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 ready to roll, man. They got some. There's something about they love the game, yeah, more than they love anything else. You're so right. They could yeah. go in the next room, and they don't need. They do it right there. They I'll don't never need forget. any network. They, all they need is hockey games, and they're ready. I'll never forget when the Blackhawks won their first won that first cup when mm-hmm. they beat the when they beat the Flyers. Yes. And, they, and Jeremy Roenick, who played for the Blackhawks for a mm-hmm. long time, yeah, he was, played for the Flyers, too, he, ironically. He couldn't stand up, yeah, right? He just, he just started just bawling in tears <laughs> and just, you know, and, and the, all, the host is, was like... This is just a game coming up tonight, and they're all like, yeah. oh, Well, man. it was funny because the host yeah. was like, Jeremy, uh, obviously you're, you're, you're very emotional about this, and he's just all choked. He just... It's Chicago Blackhawks, man. It's, just, it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, man. there's, uh, you know, these guys are all ready for action, man, when they're uh, sitting there. And they, you know, they're like Secretariat going to the stud barn. They don't need to be teased. They, uh, they're, they're ready to roll, man. They, uh, those hockey guys, the panel is, uh, you know, Charles and Shaq and those guys are having some fun. These guys are, man. This these guys is are it. like, they're like Charlie Rose. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. I still loved it when Charles went to the, uh, then he showed up at like an NHL. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pre- Nashville pre-game. last year yeah, and Nashville. talked about how much better the playoffs <laughs> were than the NHL. All right, we'll be back. My mom was the worst at having to break bad news to her children. I remember I came home from school when they said, "Anthony, I don't know how to tell you this, 
but I've been having an affair, and you can't tell Dad. I said, well, why not? She said, because he just passed away. <laughs> Anthony Jeselnik uh, will be in the Twin Cities a week from Friday at the Pantages. They have added a second show. The first one is sold out. How you doing, sir? Good, good. Thank you guys for playing that clip with the background music that I requested. <laughs> a lot of places don't do that. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I want the, I want the bit to be heard as it was originally intended. Thank that, you. That is uh, true. Have you heard from the White House correspondents? Uh, are they lining you up for next year or not? Uh, they've told me that I'm going to be shot if I come within uh, within 100 feet of the White House. What was I don't think that will ever happen. What was your ride uh, read on that uh, on the whole Michelle Wolf uh, controversy? Oh, I thought it, as a comedian, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, forget about politics. Yes. But as a comedian, you want to get up on stage mm-hmm. and you want to destroy that room. Yes. It's almost just, it's just like a roast, and I think she did that exactly. Uh, you know, and I know Michelle, and she did the best job she possibly could. Yes. I think as a comedian, she knocked it out of the park. I uh, yeah, and uh, you know, making people feel uncomfortable is a very big part of humor, and you seem to have a little of that in your act. Oh, absolutely! I mean, every <laughs> every single joke is designed to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible, <laughs> That's and then right. release that tension and laugh at it. And uh, not know why you're laughing at it. On your That's new t- on your new tour here, no New Zealand stops. I take it you're not uh, you're not mm-hmm. not doing any of that, huh? I can never go to New Zealand again, <laughs> which is fine by me. You know, I don't. Uh, I see enough of that that country in movies. I don't mind. But my mother, all she wants to do is go to New Zealand and drink New Zealand wine. And I told her she cannot go unless she changes her name. <laughs> that that would be she a- will be attacked. That would be a, a good idea. Hey, I got to ask you. I'm dying up here. Uh, returns to Showtime. It's on uh, comedy clubs in L.A. in the early '70s. I enjoyed the first year of it. Uh, did you watch it? Hey, never seen an episode. Haven't heard a good thing about it. All my friends work on it. Okay, how's that sound? And but what I did, it did give us a little inside look at the competitive nature of stand-up comedy, and I'm wondering if that uh, actually is what you guys deal with at all times. Uh, there are certainly people who you know just are in it for the art and just want to have fun and don't feel competitive, and then there are people like me <laughs> who, who really want to destroy the other comedians and, and be the last man standing. Uh, that's kind of how I attack it, just to get the most out of myself. You know, the thing that drives me to go on tour and write jokes is uh, is competing with other people. My problem is that I'm winning. <laughs> you know, so it's it's like I've got a lot of people behind me, and it's hard to stay motivated. And they're probably out to get you, waiting for you to stumble, right? That's the way it works? Oh, 100%. But they'll be waiting quite some time. I got at least I got at least another six months in me. All right, hey Anthony, uh, Netflix has done uh, wonders for uh, comedy, including the Checkbook. Uh, you have done a, net, a Netflix special. Uh, what what a wonderful boon for uh, comedy! Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's great to have another uh, platform to get things out there. The same way that MySpace was great for comedy ten years ago. Now Netflix has really changed what people can watch, how many different comedians they can see. And a lot of great comedians like Ali Wong, Tom Segura, have really found their audience through Netflix. And I know it certainly helped me uh, on my tours. And uh, uh, there's uh, now what, what 
Well, do agents, they contact you, agents come after, go after <laughs> Netflix? How's that all work? Yeah, you tell them you're ready to do the special. And uh, <laughs> then you wait. And you, you see if, if they say yes. If they say, yeah, we want you. You know, their bar is pretty high, and of course they want me. Uh, my last special for them did well. Uh, so now that I have the new hour, I'll be recording that uh, toward the end of the year. Uh, so if you come in to see me on tour, you'll be seeing the next special live, which I think is the best way to see it. Hey, Anthony, uh, so uh, you were a Pittsburgh kid, but you ended up at Tulane and uh, New Orleans going to school there. That has to be uh, a great place for a guy going to get into the entertainment business to hang out for four or five years, huh? New Orleans. Oh, uh, it absolutely. It was the greatest time of my life. My only regret for my four years of Tulane is that I don't remember anything. <laughs> it's, I can't believe they gave me a degree at the end. I'm not even sure what it's for. I don't remember ever going to class, but it was the greatest four years of my life. That is a, uh, that's an amazing city. Oh, it is. It's incredible. And uh, is there a lot of comedy down there? You know, they're, they're starting to kind of come up with a scene down there. There wasn't when I uh, went to college there. I never started until I got to L.A., but uh, but now there is kind of an up-and-coming scene that's, uh, that's getting pretty big. Who was your uh, acerbic uh, role model? Who did you uh, who did you say, boy, is this guy good, and uh, I'm not going to do the same thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go that direction? My favorite thing to me, and I loved the, the drier joke comedians. Yes. I loved, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, a Stephen Wright, a Mitch Hedberg, but my favorite wasn't a comedian. It was a guy named Jack Handy who wrote jokes for Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. And there would be a thing called Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. <laughs> it was just kind of yes. a two-sentence joke. And those, to me, were so funny because the twist was so unbelievable that I thought, I'm just going to do a version of that. You know, that was the funniest thing to me. And if I can make it darker and get into some weirder places with it, that could be, uh, that could be a really interesting character to play. Who's your, uh, when you're, uh, do you know if a joke's going to work or do you run it by people before you get out there? What's, uh, what's, where are the test runs? I write a joke. I write a bunch of jokes and I have total confidence in them. I have 100% confidence these jokes are brilliant. And then I go on stage and try them in front of an audience and find out that maybe one of them is okay. You know, I'm always, I'm always think this is going to be great, and then the audience lets you know that you are completely wrong. So sometimes, even and even now, my instincts are bad, and so I just try to write as many jokes as I possibly can, and hope that uh, you have a pretty good batting average. And the, uh, uh, you know, what one problem with uh, your your acerbic humor can be very subtle. <laughs> a subtlety doesn't always work in modern society, especially in a big auditorium. I would imagine. So I imagine sometimes you tell an extremely funny joke and some of the crowd doesn't get it there are two kinds of people on my shows there are people who know exactly what they're getting yes and they they're looking for the subtlety and they understand they're kind of seeing a horror film and they get every joke i tell and then there are those people's girlfriends <laughs> and they are always pretty upset they're always pretty angry and feel tricked and uh, and don't understand why i'm being so mean but yeah, that, that's that's that, that's my audience right down the middle. Hey, the first time you were here, uh, I suppose you were in the smaller room uh, than the Pantages. Did you? you know, the the small rooms to the uh, bigger theaters. That's a long transition, I would guess, huh? Uh, not really. I mean, it uh, it kind of happens overnight. You know, once uh, once your name gets out there, you know, I I I, I kind of got famous roasting Donald Trump 
uh, years ago, and I think maybe I was at the Pantages last time I was in Minneapolis. Uh, but it's it, but it's a, it's a nice place to go. You know, I feel like the uh, the comedy clubs are like a gym where you go to work out and get the material good, and then once you have the perfect hour, then you take it to theaters. You yes. know, then it's ready to go. I'm not trying anything else. I'm just doing the best of what I've been working on for three years. This is you got some real competition in the White House here now to to keep up with the craziness, though. I mean, it's it's the 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 absurdity that you're trying to get across in comedy isn't a hell of a lot different than what's coming out on a daily basis. It's it's uh, it's a big competition. It is very it is very strange, but I don't do any political comedy, so it doesn't really matter to me. Like I don't care who the president is. So people can come out and. Trump, Trump people like me because I'm not politically correct. Yes. And then, you know, the Hillary people like me because they understand that I'm on their side, if you will. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a mixture, but I never talk about, I don't care who the president is. I think it's a waste of time to lecture the audience about politics. When you could be telling jokes. Well, Anthony, uh, we uh, got rid of the snow. It's uh, we had a blizzard here about uh, ten days ago, but everything's fine, and uh, we will. Uh, we're looking forward to you uh, being at the Pantages Theater a week from Friday. Two shows. Thank you. Thank you very much. All Thank right, uh, Anthony Jeselnik, uh, who's a big, uh, you know, who's a huge fan of his, Mackie. Really, Mackie, big Jeselnik. Is that guy. right? Yeah, big Jeselnik guy. Yeah, this so guy he'll is, probably and he's a downtown guy, so he'll oh, probably I'm be at sure the show. There. I'm sure he's there. He well, and I think he's come through town earlier when he was not nearly as well. Known. You know, when I was down the hall, I worked with a with a comedian, so we would have people on, mm-hmm. and everybody raves about how you know. I, I was, guess I was watching some tapes. I watched the Netflix thing. It's pretty funny. Yeah, well, and Minneapolis is really well known throughout the country as being a great spot for comedians to come to town. And I love comedy where you go, oh. Yeah, Ooh, right. Oh, well, the the clip Manny got that we played. He makes you wince more than anybody. He, he always, uh, the joke always comes around yeah. and hits you in the back of the head. You know, it's, My mom uh, told me she was having an affair. <laughs> I'm going to tell Dad you can't. He's dead. Well, it's sort of the delivery. Yeah, Anthony Jeselnik, and uh, he's uh, he's here at the Pantages, and he's, he's sold out. He's... Uh, He's kind of a, enough of a hipster for it to be, be huge in this town, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. It'd be good. Uh, anyway, thanks for his time. And uh, and I'm surprised this, this I'm dying up here, by the way, uh, Showtime. Jim Carrey, uh, right? Comes, well, he he's a producer, but he's... He's, he's not, okay. Melissa Leo. It's basically about uh, Goldie's, uh, which used to be a, a, the big club in... in uh, L.A., which I think just closed or uh, something, but uh, Melissa Leo plays this woman who runs a comedy club Mm -hmm. there. And what is interesting is the backbiting and the competition and the, it's it's almost sports. You know, it's almost like, you know, it's like the Twins sending out congratulations to the Vikings, right? Sure. When they do something, it's like the, you know, go wild and it's all a lie because you all want the other team to fall on their ass so you get more attention right right. you know (laughs) and uh it's it's that way in comedy they all say man you killed it but they're hoping that you don't that you fall on your face then some then and the whole thing in it is trying to get to the carson show and then when you get to the carson show have johnny let you come over to the couch and the whole the joke is he got the couch he got the couch but mm. apparently the comedians don't like it so 
Anyway, I, I like it. I'm dying up here. It's on Showtime. Uh, it comes back for a second season uh, Saturday and Sunday night. We- this is Time Friday. We put aside the daily complaints and we go for the Friday Fun Fest. Feel good thought for the week. I hope you have one, Manny. I do. And and you know what it is? You know, in, in the midst of all of this sort of, uh, you know, negative stuff going on with Minnesota sports right now, you know, the Wolves got properly disposed of by the Rockets and the Wild, you know, they got knocked out by the Jets and then fired Chuck Fletcher and, you know, all this negative stuff going on right now. The Twins are a mess right now. You know what I'm happy about? What's that, sir? The Lynx are going to be starting their season here very <laughs> soon, and I think they're going to be the ones to give us something this summer to uh, to smile about. So that's what I'm happy about. I'm what? happy that they're coming up. This well, and we have here. one of the most unique uh, things that we've ever had in Minnesota sports. Now it's happened nationally to see a Gophers basketball coach playing for the Lynx is uh, rather phenomenal. And, uh, of course... You heard it here. You heard it here first. Uh, yes, yes, you it called is. it. I called it. I'm glad to see Mark Coyle's finally listening to me. I'm kind of in that same vein, Manny. Uh, my feel-good thought for the week is: if the Twins are going to continue to play like this, we have options. Yeah, we got the we Saints. Got other things to do. We got the Saints. We got Canterbury Park. We got the Lynx. We got the soccer team. Yeah, we got options, Twins. If you want to play. Like a bunch of idiots and blow a five to one lead against the mighty whiteys. We got options. Yeah. We got options. We don't need you. We do not need you, and you apparently don't need us the way you're playing. <laughs> there, you're disgusting. That's my feel good thought for the week. We just like Canterbury Group. We got options.